listening to Grow on the Go. And today we have uh, a guest that I'm excited to talk to. His name is Andrew Gustak. He works at the Mustard Seed in Calgary. Welcome to the show, Andrew. Thanks for having me, Donna. I am really um, interested in this conversation because um, the Mustard Seed works with people suffering from homelessness. Mm-hmm. And it seems during the pandemic, I don't think it's my imagination, there is an increase. Um, And even single mothers holding a sign, you know, um, asking for any help. Mm -hmm. And and I've struggled to know how to respond well. So after working with people suffering from homelessness for how many years now, Andrew? I've been working roughly 10 years in this industry. So you must have seen some patterns of, of catalysts for homelessness. Mm-hmm. What, are, what are some of the common ones? Some of the common catalysts, like you mean reasons for people to be in homelessness. Exactly. Right. Right. Yeah. So big ones would be trauma. We know for a fact is uh, like kind of at the baseline for any outstanding issue around homelessness. The trauma would lead at, to potentially things like mental health problems, substance abuse, Um, not knowing how to move forward in their life around job loss or divorce. These are big ones. Um, Things like just inappropriate upbringings and people not being able to decide, uh, having the life skills to decide or move forward uh, as individuals and maybe a complex system or society, you know, so that might speak to some of our first nations people who maybe grew up uh, some of the guests I've worked with actually who were out of the residential schools or through uh, experiences on reserves that were very difficult. Um, and for whatever reason, you know, they might've had not an appropriate upbringing and, and given those life skills. So, and that might happen locally with, uh, you know, this isn't a, it's not a racial problem per se. It could happen really anywhere in any neighborhood. Uh, those right. family dynamics. Right. Yeah. So those are things that we see commonly just trauma leading to a, a greater issue. And then people landing on the street or in poverty and needing help, you know, to, to, to figure those things out. Well, that that makes so much sense to me. And I I thought that's what you were going to say. Um, For a number of years, um, our church um, offered space for to in from the cold Mm -hmm. and uh, small groups would volunteer to, you know, cook dinner for them. And uh, some of us would eat dinner with them. And one of the things I learned in my conversations is that there almost always was some sort of triggering event that Mm -hmm. led to a downward spiral. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, what were you going to say? Yeah, that's exactly it. And then, you know, for these reasons, it's quite unique. You know, um, people often think it's simply job loss or or a major sort of uprooting. Uh, it's not. It's usually a slippery slope. These people are somewhat, if they're chronically homeless or transitional, they might be, this might be their lifestyle even. So we've kind of created these broad ideas of, of what it is and how to solve it. And that's really not the case. So you need to put... Uh, people in their life to walk with them and grow with them and assist them. And again, maybe maturing or growing in these mechanisms that you and I might've had naturally because of our, uh, you know, our parents and our communities and all the rest of it, you know? Right. And when you refer to residential schools, I mean, it seems to me that if you've never been parented, how would you know how to parent? Mm-hmm. And, and so it becomes a, almost a generational issue. Yeah, and to that point, you know, one of one of the other things people are saying right now in the industry, and and this is why the mustard seed is going into family housing, is because if you can kind of target the nuclear family and equip parents and equip youth and all the rest of it, 
this could be a you know a bottom line solution. There is is breaking the cycle by equipping families that uh, might be you know falling into these patterns due to you know again generational issues or whatever. yeah, just the, all the, all that they've ever known. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I know. I I can really not imagine being homeless. I, I suspect most middle class Canadians can't imagine ever ending up on the streets. How how close to homelessness are we really? And how different, you know, maybe put another way, how different are we than homeless people? Great question. So with the volunteers, because that's one of the departments I manage is the volunteer department, often our volunteers come in and whether they're middle class, supplementary class, CEOs of companies, whatever, they almost immediately, usually within the first few minutes of their first shift, they realize, oh my God, these people I'm talking to are just like me. And be it, you know, with outstanding, obvious substance abuse issues or mental health issues, when you talk to our clients and you get to know them, even on an interaction kind of level, or sorry, a transactional level, you start to learn that we're all pretty similar. And, you know, so they're like a mirror shining back at us, our own issues, like all of our friends and our families are, I'm, I'm seeing you and I'm, and I'm reflecting on what does this mean for me? And volunteers usually come in with some of this, some of this kind of pensive or, or, or uh, contemplative kind of energy at times, even if they're there to like be, you know, wearing a cape and really help out, it kind of hits home at some point. So maybe on a personality or emotional level, we can really identify uh, maybe on a practical or logistical level, we're a few degrees off still. I think that trauma or the hardship that would have to become many of us would have to be extensive to land us on the street. But that's not to say that these issues do happen. We've had people some of our guests are our CEOs and high level business people or, you know, leaders of churches and all the rest of it. So I've heard a lot of those stories too. They're less common, but sometimes that fall can be really far and we don't know how these, um, you know, trauma, traumatic events can affect us. Other times uh, it's a slippery slope of people just inappropriately kind of, you know, making their way through our, our community and our, and our, and our, like, let's say Western systems, you know, so so I'm sorry, what do you mean by inappropriately making their way through? Well, yeah, and I don't know if that's the right articulation or not. It's sort of like, you know, for, for a lot of us, it's, you know, what, what were the skills to maybe making the decisions we need to around our own independence, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, some of our guests, after working with many of them for a long time, it's, and again, this is more to that lifestyle thing I was talking about. Some of them are just antithetical to what you and I do on the daily basis, or they feel very what's the word? Um, yeah. They're not established in our communities. You know, they were never, they never really understood it. They never wanted to be a part of like modern day Western society. Okay. Um, they're, they're disenfranchised basically. And so their life on the street is a way to kind of get away from, let's say things like paying taxes, having a family, holding responsibilities. You and I usually do, you know, um, these are people, and this was, you know, it's a sample size of our community out on the street that, it's, it, it is more the lifestyle choice. It's less of the actual trauma and the people that really need the help. The, these, these people that I'm talking about in that way, uh, you, we might never help them. They might be in our, in our you know, uh, in that community for a long time, maybe for mm-hmm. the rest of life. You know, for example, I've met a guy who he rough, the, the term we use for people living literally on the street and not going in shelters is called rough camping. Right. Um, and so I met a guy one time, he, I was a caseworker for a while there and he had rough camped. He'd lived on the street for 13 years straight. He just never wanted to be in a house or in a building. It was, uh, and he was super normal. He was awesome. I met him when he moved into housing because he had a really bad back problem. Um, it was super interesting to talk to him because he was very bright and ingenuitive, and he found these creative solutions to his lifestyle choices and was homeless. You know, so mm-hmm. wow. Um, oh, I have so many questions, and um, 
One of the people that uh, we've interacted with is a guy who looks for bottles in our neighborhood. And uh, my husband offered to buy him a rake at one Mm -hmm. point so that he could start a little raking business and make some money. And he just wasn't interested. Mm -hmm. Would, Would you say that would be an exception? Yeah, I mean, it depends how they, you know, the question for me is, and I don't know if it's, if you can even have the relationship to ask, but it's maybe he didn't want the hand up for his own personal mm, ego point. in a positive way. You know, yeah. we, so we, we see that a lot of people not wanting these handouts or, or maybe that, uh, that, that was imposing an idea that, hey, you should have a rake and go work. And maybe that's not what he's about, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it would seem to me that that would be less difficult to accept a rake than to accept money, which is what he was asking yeah. for. Yeah. Uh, interesting. Um, yeah. So another little uh, bunny trail I want to go on here is in the areas where I shop, there are one in each of these two areas. There are uh, single women of um, some kind of a Muslim background, single mothers who mm-hmm. hold up a sign, stand on the median, hold up a sign and ask for money. Would you say that that is an unusual demographic? It, I was surprised to see two women. Um, mm-hmm. You know, what, do, what yeah. would you say about that? Yeah, so I see those. I live in Bowness here in Calgary, and we have a bit of a low-income uh, situation in this community. And so at our Safeway as well, we see similar things. And uh, I think that is uncommon in the grand scheme of things. I think when I, and I've known many of our guests and had conversations with them and actually people in Bonus too, who are panhandlers or bottle pickers. And even though on the spectrum of, you know, uh, of homelessness, let's say, or the way that people would navigate this, this world or that, that circumstance, uh, you you know, I would say the bottle pickers and the panhandlers are a little more ingenuitive and they've kind of hit rock bottom in a different way. And they're still willing to kind of ante up, you know, versus being buried under the weight of the depression and all the rest of it. Um, and so, you know, to those women, I would say, you know, they're probably at their wits end and they're looking for support and not really understanding in a systematic way how to approach that. So they're kind of going to their general community. Um, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on the circumstances, the homeless sector is quite systematic in nature. It's institutional. And, uh, many of our guests become institutionalized and they become codependent on, on these systems. And, and so, and, and what that really means is, you know, the negative side of that is, you know, phoning and then finally talking to an advocate, finally getting the help you need could be a number of phone calls or, or even discovering the right Avenue to go down. And if you don't have the language or you don't have the ability to understand uh, like that, those professional roots or whatever, you could easily get turned off from that system. Like, you know, it's not a simple phone call. Hey, I need help. They need to discover what do you need help with? Who's the right person in the organization to send you through? How do we access the resources? Is it the food bank? Is it the must seed for clothing or whatever, right? Like there's such a spectrum of outcomes and it takes time to figure that out. Uh, fortunately at organizations like the mustard seed, we make that as easy as possible. And we've considered things like literacy and helping people understand high level issues at a very low level. So our advocates are a great experience or a great example of that, where you would phone into the mustard seed and, and, and hopefully we would have somebody who can, who can kind of meet you at your level, kind of identify right away. Okay. We're having a hard time communicating or understanding these issues. You know, these people are often in fight or flight. So the word we use, the term, some of the terms that go around is like their brains are on fire. They're not thinking straight. They're not able to. Lizard brain. 
Totally. So it's like, you know, at at this level, you know, and again, you're kind of getting some of the nuances of to what we deal with here. So, but it is, it's deep like that. And people have to kind of weed through that and our staff are willing to go the distance. And so to those women, I would say if they phoned our advocates at the mustard seed, we could absolutely point them in the right direction. And, And it might be that they just don't know where to go. Yeah. Well, and, you know, often if you're a new Canadian or you, you know, you do struggle with literacy or whatever, there's got to be closed doors everywhere you go, you know, um, if you don't speak the language well or, yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. I, to that point, I worked with um, one of the literacy teams from Calgary Learns and and, um, the Bull Valley College and one of the professionals, a few of the professional teams here in Calgary. And they were convinced that literacy was at the fundamental starting point for homelessness. And that wasn't necessarily the case. Um, But at the same time, what we learned was it's huge, man, reading, writing, and math. It's yeah. Yeah. And again, for newcomers, especially people that don't know the culture, people that don't have strong English language, because with the, with the disconnect of the language also comes the disconnect of the culture and the the, the nuances. Yeah. Often distrust of government or any kind of government agency. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, you know, there's a lack of general understanding of how to, you know, maneuver through something as simple as a conversation around getting help, you know? Right, right. Well, one of the things I've often wished is that I had a bunch of uh, cards with mustard seed contact info on it that I would just keep with me and then be able to to hand that out. Um, so that's something, uh, Yeah. I don't know if you have those, but uh, it would be a good thing, I think. Yeah. I mean, you know, the website is designed to sort of help people along pretty quickly. Okay. <clears throat> so even if they just, if they're, if they're willing to hear it, like if they're even willing to go the distance, it depends where these people are at. I mm-hmm. like, I've been there, I've been there, done that. I've, I've walked to many of our, of our clients uh, either at work or even just randomly, not our clients at the mustard seed, but people on the street and tried to have those conversations. Uh, maybe it doesn't happen in the moment. We all want to wear a cape and in a moment, see exact results. Mm. Uh, this might be like a weekly or daily interaction where you slowly move someone in the right direction. You know, you got to earn the right to be heard yeah. in, in almost any part of society. Uh, and, and that includes with our guests, um, you know, and, and people su- suffering or experiencing homelessness or poverty. So, you know, is, is someone willing to take out like, like, uh, like your husband or whatever offering the guy the rake? It's like, Hey, cool, good idea, but I'm not about to go raking people's lawns. So it's like mm-hmm. this one time interaction isn't enough to, to turn them in the right direction or convince them like you and I, if I'm going through a hard thing, I need to figure that out for myself and kind of come to come to my own terms of how I want to move forward. And at times the repeated interaction with someone pointing in the right direction might help with that it becomes a relationship, you know? Right. And yeah. I think that's the key thing is the relationship and, and really trying to preserve the dignity of the person who's in these horrible mm-hmm. circumstances. Yeah. Um, a lot of the ways we try to help probably do come across as being very um, patronizing. Absolutely. Yeah. And it, so the, these are all questions I've had. And I'm, that's why I'm so glad to talk to you because I think most Christians really do want to do the the right and the compassionate thing. We just don't necessarily know what that is. Mm-hmm. You know, I hate the thought of walking by someone asking for money without responding somehow. And yet I've been told that giving a homeless person money is the wrong thing to do. So what is the right thing to do? Good question. I think because I will give people money depending on the situation. Uh, a little bit about me. I'm heavily tattooed and I, people like to approach me for whatever reason on the streets. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe this is the 10 year thing that I've had that now they get it or whatever. I don't know, but it's uh, 
I find myself often walking downtown and having people coming up to me all the time. And I can actually, in that moment, if you come up to me, I can talk to you. Right. But, you know, and I can be like, you know, so you've approached me, you're entering my world. I'm going to ask you a question before I just shell out cash, you know? And uh, if you got a good read on the individual, maybe you can learn that they're lying or whatever. Right. And so, and I'll just have very honest conversations with people. Usually if I'm walking past somebody and I see that they're in need, it, it doesn't hurt to ask a question. We've had a lot of staff over the sea that, do this often our outreach teams go out and it's just simply inquiring and being polite learning what they really need um if you're really willing to connect with them they might tell you that it's blatantly for you know the alcohol they need or the drugs they wanted or whatever right like mm-hmm. and then you can sort of readjust how that what that looks like um you know people always say the kind of the token things like give them the food versus give them the money but you know, I, I would say most people play it, play it by ear. These are going to be people in your community, possibly like the woman standing at the Safeway, like maybe she's there all the time. And every time we go, we go for groceries, we can, we can support her in some way and kind of build that rapport. Um, I think we often, again, people wearing the cape, they want it to be a one-time Superman moment where you're saved and you move on. And it's, it's not really like that. It, this takes years, it takes right. years, years. The same way it took years to cultivate this inability to kind of, live the way you and I do. And, and again, this isn't an issue of right or wrong. It's just difference. You know what I mean? So it's going to take years to correct those behaviors and, and help someone be sustained in the community. And, you know, the mustard seed is like a, you could call it a parachurch organization or whatever. Like we came out of the Baptist church, right? We came out of the first Baptist church downtown in Calgary and okay. it was sort of like, yeah. So the people from the church at the time, this is back in the seventies and then into the eighties when we became a formal organization, like, the longstanding church congregation members and the people who wanted to point themselves vocationally in this direction helped establish the organization for as long as possible. And when you work in this industry, you realize, you know, for someone building their career coming in for two or three years, okay, that's good. We'll use your, your energy and we'll use your, your, your pizzazz for a while, but we need longevity in this industry. Uh, Mm -hmm. Many of our guests are in and out of the street repeatedly due to the issues we've been talking about and the nuances of their life. But ultimately even just for like understanding, creating understanding and creating like, a full a heart posture or a work posture that is easy to attract and or work with these people. Like, and I mean, attract, like, how do I, how am I connecting with you? You know, like you heard missionaries going to China back in the day, they would, they would look Chinese or whatever, you know, like that's maybe a bad example, but we need to be a community to support this community. And the same way people shopping and meeting these ladies as an example, or the guy in the backyard, like I've had that actually twice or in, uh, in bonus, I've had two different homeless people come to my backyard and I'll, I'll actually put the, uh, I find a little hiding spot for them in the back there where I start to put my bottles for them, you know? Mm. And over the years we built relationships. Both of these individuals actually had, eventually they percolated up to doing our yard, yard work and me paying them and hanging out with them in that way. Um, so you never know where these relationships go. If you just start small and kind of satisfy these needs and then, and then move on. But the very practical is I, w- I would say, have a question for you, just shallow cash or give food, you know, and, and try to build rapport. Our church um, once made a suggestion that you get a, a large, a fairly big Ziploc bag, like a freezer style Ziploc bag and load it with some things that would be useful for someone on the street. Mm-hmm. Um, what, if, if, if I were to have a packet like that ready to take with me every time I went somewhere, what, what should it have in it? Things that are super, super practical. So change of socks. Most, most homeless people are men, right? Women have resources and or resourceful due to like, there's, there's some brutal honesty here. Like a woman can, you know, she can, she can navigate her way only be, partly because she could shack up with somebody a lot sooner than a man could, let's say. And we see this very often or they get, they get sniped by, 
yeah, like sex trafficking and all the rest of it. It's really scary right. for on the street. Yeah. But those are real things. So people ask, what are the nuances? Why are there more men on the street? It's like, for those reasons, men are also just very stubborn. So it's like, you know, compared to women, let's say, and I think that's a fair thing to say. I hope that's not sexist. Well, I'm glad you said it and I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> so, but the moral of the story is all the studies show and what I've seen and everything we know is there's a lot more men who are on the street. Um, and so, you know, you're probably going to interact with a male, uh, bring a change of underwear, potentially uh, maybe a pair of socks, a ball cap, things like flashlights are super useful, bus tickets, just all the really practical ones, you know? Okay. And, uh, yeah, maybe a gift card. Gift cards are great because then, you know, they can go for the coffee, they can go for McDonald's or whatever it is. Um, you know, and, th- and these are the packs that we hand out in our outreach programs, um, hygiene, personal hygiene items, and all the rest of it. Uh, yeah, maybe a pamphlet maybe a letter it's nice uh we ask young groups of kids who want to volunteer or donate we ask them hey at christmas time another time put a card in there for the guests yeah and i've seen countless times where guests like break down crying because of a note from a four-year-old that's brutally handwritten says you know hang in there we're hoping for you or whatever Uh, wow so yeah that's pretty common actually well i'm gonna put this list um on on the description of the podcast so that uh anybody who wants to put together some of these packets would we'll be able to remember um that was my problem when we um it was suggested by church i didn't write it down and let later it was okay i know it had socks in it what else oh, a yeah. bottle of water was something else that was recommended yeah and a little pack of sunscreen potentially in the summer seriously like mm. you know yeah that's a good one okay yeah. well that's really that's really helpful thank you yeah. i was in south africa a number of years ago on a book tour and um South Africa is so interesting because it's they're a first world country and a third world country at the same mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. And so you've got all these wealthy people, primarily white people, um, yeah. having a life very similar to what we would have in Canada. And then you've got these people who are just destitute. And one of the neat things, um, somebody's developed this type of food in a packet that can be just mixed with ordinary water and it can be used as baby food. It can be used by the elderly and everybody in between. And uh, because it's so dangerous to carry cash around in South Africa, people just have these in their cars and they hand them out, you know, at, at stoplights and where, you know, where people are begging. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think, yeah, to that point too, it's uh, many of our guests can find resources around the city, believe it or not. Like I don't think there's anyone left wanting if they're looking in Calgary. Okay. Usually. So it's, it's, you know, so things like that. And we've looked at doing things on a, on a kind of a missional level like that too. But ultimately at the end of the day, you want to equip people with the ability to plug into a program or get those resources from a formal institution, which hopefully they're willing to hear that. And they can, you know, again, the ESL thing, hopefully they can have the conversation and, and if language is the barrier, point them in the direction of those help as well. Right. So yeah. beti- you, you've mentioned that the importance of building relationship mm-hmm. besides material things, what else do people experiencing homelessness need from us? I mean, I, I've heard eye contact is really important or asking their name. Yeah. Is asking their story too in, invasive? No, I think, you know, listening is huge. Um, you know, uh, with some of our, at the seed, some of our guests are like really suffering from some extreme mental health issues. So listening could take you on a very crazy adventure. <laughs> yeah. So you have to be careful. Uh, um, but, uh, and then also sometimes people, um, they escalate when they talk as well. So it's sort of this behavior cycle where they're continually escalating and, uh, and having, you know, presenting these, uh, these mental health issues that way physically, like their body's literally like, 
you know, cause them to turn manic and all the rest of it. So that, that can be a thing as well. So you've got to be a little bit careful. Um, but yeah, if you're, you know, I, again, back to bonus here, there's a Tim Hortons here. There's guys often sitting out asking for coffee and I know they're homeless and they're part of our immediate community here. I've had long conversations with a few of these guys. Um, they don't even know I work at the seed. I rarely bring that up. I just kind of want to get to know them on a personal level in the community. And I don't want them to have any perceived reason why I might be, you know, maneuvering them, you know, or being right. strategic in these conversations. And I'm not really doing that. I'm literally just being like, Hey, I'm just interested in you kind of thing. They ask for a coffee. I buy them a coffee. I stop and talk, you know? So yeah, listening is huge, learning their names, creating community. It's that kind of that cheers thing. Um, you you want to go where you're known that alone, re- like that will introduce confidence and, and show people, Hey man, I can talk and I can maneuver through, this social interaction and maybe that would speak eventually to their greater community. Anything that would be hopeful. God is a huge, you know, we, we know, and I, you know, God, God is uh, he can redeem us and he can save us. But if you don't believe in God, just the, I just, God can even just be a tool, right? The idea of God can even just be a useful tool to create hope. And this idea that there's something greater than me helping me or looking, looking out for me. Mm. Um, you know, these, these kinds of things, it doesn't have to be this high level spiritual thing. It can be super low level. Like, you know, I'm just needing the hope that somebody out there is looking out for me. And if God's that thing in a moment, fair enough. You know what I mean? If it leads to something like a deeper relationship and salvation or whatever, fair, but I, that's up, that's up Maslow's hierarchy of needs. That's way up there. And so yeah. we usually don't start with conversion, obviously. Right. Right. You know, But yeah. it's like, yeah. So at the same time, uh, yeah. And it's just, it's, it's growing that relationship and learning about who these people are and, and kind of moving them forward like that. I love the way you talk about like taking responsibility for homeless people in your own community. I should actually quickly say before we move on to the next one, outbreaks became a major issue in the city because when an outbreak happened and they did happen in all shelters to a point uh, we, ours were small. Some of the other shelters numbers were a little higher in terms of COVID outbreaks, but we would have to quarantine our shelters. Right. So you can't have people coming in and out, including the street people. Right. Make sure that we weren't spreading COVID or that new COVID wasn't coming in. And so the media was perpetuating these ideas that the, the shelters are closing their doors. People can't go in. And, and there were a few people in the industry that were misrepresenting what was happening. What was really happening was we can't let people with COVID come in now and, or we had COVID in the building. So we need people to be safe and we need to quarantine and isolate and do the rigmarole of all that. Right. Uh, so a lot of the, the, and then we were, what people also need to know is that our CEO, the managing director at the must see, there were daily calls happening for months uh, between the shelter CEOs and leaders, making sure that we were collaboratively finding solutions to maybe one shelter being closed because of COVID. And where do we put these clients when they come knocking at the seed or at the other shelters, right? So it was highly collaborative and we opened up special spaces, isolation rooms, all the rest of it to accommodate it. Um, and I can honestly say like, because I'm involved in some of these details personally, uh, the, the, the street people that were that needed to be in the shelter were not turned away. Even if the mustard seed was in quarantine, we opened pathways to other resources for them. Absolutely. Mm, that's awesome. And like I said earlier, our housing numbers grew like crazy. We have these reintegration programs and, uh, and, and all the rest of it. And we housed a lot of people, you know, a lot. Wow. Yeah. Well, Andrew, we're just about out of time in just a few seconds. Can you, is there anything else you want us to know? 
Well, really, at, at the end of the day, it's just thanking the community. You know, the churches are such a huge part of our of our efforts. Um, the people coming missionally and willing to not wear a cape, but to learn and grow and walk beside someone, disciple them, maybe mentor them. This is what we need. And you can do that every day in your life. If you see these people, if you feel safe enough to have a conversation or otherwise, it's about being a friend, uh, being a colleague, being a neighbor, you know, and just connecting humans to other humans and supporting each other. That's really it. Right. Well, that's a great place for us to end. Thanks so much for being with us today on Grow on the Go. I'm Donna Carter. Thanks for listening to Grow on the Go. Share this episode on social media and find more great programs at faithstrongtoday.com.